back. Time for another episode. Having very quiet discussion here today because my voice is just barely audible today. Here comes what happens when you go to Disney on ice with your four-year-old grandson and get too cold last night. Well, I was going to say instead, did you go to Disney on ice and you were so excited, you were <laughs> screaming as if you were at a hockey game. You know, it was part of that too, I hate to admit it, but my voice has not recovered since last night here. Well, you're a good grandpa for doing that. Um, <laughs> I uh, my My kids have so far not asked for any any on ices whether it's disney on ice or paw patrol on ice or any yeah. of the ice shows oh yeah um i don't know that i could do it i think it just did I, I, I because i'd have to sit there and like have something else to do just you know how much <laughs> am i gonna pay to sit and play angry birds for an hour and a half while you know snow white skates around i don't know i just uh but hey good for you uh paul for taking the grandkids and and, and being a good guy. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us here on Sales Pipeline Radio. Uh, we will probably not have our usual banter with Paul. We're going to let him rest his uh, rest his, his vocal cords. But I appreciate everyone being here. We are almost to the end of 2018. Can't believe this year is almost over. For those of you joining us on the Funnel Media Radio Network, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate uh, you listening uh, live uh, during your week as we wrap up 2018. For those of you on the podcast, thanks for subscribing. Uh, you can find us everywhere. Uh, fine podcasts are sold on the iTunes Store, Google Play, and elsewhere. And every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio, past, present, and future, is available at salespipelineradio.com. We are featuring every week some of the best and brightest minds in the B2B sales and marketing world. Today is absolutely no different. Very excited to have with us Matt Gorniak. He is the co founder uh, and CRO, Chief Revenue Officer for G2 Crowd. Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, sure. Hey, Matt. Good to uh, talk to you again. Yeah, be. likewise. Excited to have you here and excited to talk a little bit about, you know, what you guys are doing and really, I guess, think the the power of of reviews in B2B products. And I think, you know, I, 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 we've known that we use reviews, uh, you know, either either intentionally or subtly in many, so many decisions we make, whether it's on buying something on Amazon, uh, you know, buying an, uh, you know, an app on our iPhones. But reviews are just as important for complex B2B technology decisions. Talk a little bit about you know, how reviews might be a little different for those complex decisions, but also what you guys have learned about how important they are and how directly linked they are to preference and decision-making. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, I think you're right. It is different, but it's not different, if that makes sense. So when um, we first met, I want to say 2011, I think that trade show, we just rolled out the first version of G2Crowd um, years ago. And at that point, the question was, obviously, reviews are very much B2B, uh, sorry, B2C, just as you mentioned, and now it's it's a given, right? Generations of buyers. I mean, I think ourselves included are trained on that motion, right? But there was still that perception like it wouldn't work in B2B. That's just different. Now, my background, my co-founder's background, we were selling B2B software, and we very much thought that process is very much needed, but has to be different. <clears throat> so the difference really is in the quality of the content, and to the degree... I'll just talk about us. We go, I won't go into much detail, to make sure we have a trust process in place because the decisions are, the stakes are much higher. So the process of gathering um, content, making sure it is trusted, it is authentic, and everything goes with it um, is different, but the consumption is actually very similar. And by the way, I think that strikes, that'll be actually very interesting, a lot of uh, B2B vendors, because I think they think it's still different, and it's not. So I hope that it answers the question a little bit. But um, it's about the trust that's uh, that's different. 
Yeah, I mean, I think when you think about you know the 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 fact that there's what like six thousand marketing technology tools out there today, just in the martech space, you know, knowing which of a variety of competitors people should be paying attention to uh, is important. Knowing uh, you know where you know where people have had a good experience is important, and knowing you have a place where you can go and find sort of trustful reviews uh, is important. I think. You know, the, you, G2 Crowd's been around, what, about six, seven years now, um, you know, has emerged in what has become a little bit of a competitive space. What was the opportunity you guys saw? I mean, the, you know, reviews are not new to G2 Crowd, not new to B2B, um, but the way you guys are approaching it is new. What was the problem you saw in the industry, and, and why did this model make most sense? Yeah, um, glad you asked. It was definitely like um, at H we had ourselves, and there was two, two – this is really – uh, I think interesting to say, but two itches. <laughs> One was we were selling software, software that had a pretty high uh, average sales price. And in the, in, the, in the process of conveying our value prop, you just run out of assets. Like how do you convey you, you went the extra mile to take care of customers, which we, we did. How do you convey all these um, product features to deliver ROI? You know, at some point, like case studies are interesting. Um, you know, a nice logo on your website's cool. But there is more, and we realize there's an asset which is called taking care of your customer, right? Like the customer voice that's not captured anywhere. We also realize that the traditional analysts don't capture it either because they're not really talking to, to, to the customers or talking to the vendors. So that was kind of the, the opportunity we saw is what if there was a platform that was, lit, that was unbiased, it had no voice, but it had a trust process around gathering the customer voice, and from a vendor perspective, make that available to the buyers, you know, wouldn't that be nice? At the same time, you brought up something else that, that the MarTech 6,000 vendors, we started buying a lot of software ourselves as a company, and we realized that we're super confused about what to buy because a lot of disruptive technologies were not covered. There was nothing on them, right? There was nothing to read. There was no opinions. Uh, There's no quadrants on them. So basically, just kind of guessing. So we felt that was that connection sparked the idea behind G2 Crowd. And turns out um, the transformation, you know, software in the world is very real, as you obviously you know yourself. And there's thousands of apps being uh, added to G2 Crowd uh, monthly. And so um, that's that's what we're trying to solve. But it came from those two problems we experienced ourselves personally. Well, and it's not just reviews. I mean, I think review is a function of uh, is, is, a, is a means of providing advice. Uh, and I think, you know, purchase advice has come from a variety of people in the past. I mean, I think a lot of companies still will look at, you know, the gardeners and foresters of the world uh, to provide some sort of expertise and advice. Um, but, you know, as opposed to having sort of one person who's looking across everything sort of consolidate that advice, now you've sort of, you've created an open playing field for anyone to provide that kind of advice. Talk about the pros and cons of, of opening up that opportunity. Obviously, you've got a lot more people, um, you know, that are able to provide and crowdsource ideas and advice and expertise for a potential buyer. You've also got the opportunity to corrupt some of that advice uh, for a variety of emotional and um, sort of devious reasons. How do you balance that to give your your audience, the people that are increasingly coming to G2 Crowd to learn about some software advice? How do you how do you how do you balance that? Right. I mean, let me start with the first one. So I would say. I mean, yes, a review, and there's actually more to review because what we're doing is we're not only, I mean, it's just, I'm, I'll talk about us, you know, but it's not about just the content, but how do you have a standardized way of asking these questions and compare and contrast them, you know, have a standardized way of, of looking at data, right? Which is really cool because, you know, it, one is to read a review, another is to have 10,000 reviews of a product 
thousands across other products, and now you can start comparing them. Uh, so that's kind of powerful there. But I think what's really um, interesting is uh, one of the crucial questions in the decision process is, is does this stuff even work? So if you think back how a lot of uh, vendors communicate um, with emails, inbound campaigns, whatever, a lot of it is basically on value props that it's really hard to back up, right? The customer voice is missing. So that's the problem number one. The other problem is then, hey, you know, how am I faring versus others? But I think a lot of folks mistake that it's all about comparisons. It's just about, hey, I actually, this stuff actually does work. It generates value. So that's kind of from review. You're right. There's more to it than just a review. As far as corruption, I think we took a lot of great care of making sure that the contributors to um, G2 Crowd are extremely, they're vetted. You have to have a LinkedIn profile to contribute. And there's a, you know, a host of uh, uh, processes, automatic and, and, and also human, that we, we, uh, we do to ensure Q&A. So I, I'd say we're pretty, we have a lot of resources dedicated towards that. If you do that right, then the data becomes very powerful. Again, the question for you, Matt, is like, who are my peers uses this? What results are they getting? How is it fair? And at the end, you're right, like, it's not the end-all be-all. There's other sources they'll consider. But if you, if you look at it without uh, platforms like Future Crowd, you don't get at the peers, right? That's the mm -hmm. missing link. Like, does it work? And who else in my network uses it? So if you go to G2, find your favorite marketing application, you can actually click on a button and it shows you your number one connections on LinkedIn that left a review. So that's another indicator of like, wow, that's pretty cool, right? For some applications, I may be good with just reading a couple of reviews. It's not a big investment. It works. Hey, Matt, what do you think? You're like, oh, it worked great for me. I'm done. Let's go, you know? So people also forget that for some, it's just accelerating of buying. They already have an idea. They just want to confirm. For very big projects, it could be part of an RFP process. But again, who else uses it? What results are they getting? That that was before platforms like ours, a big missing link, you know, anecdotal. So, well, and an opportunity to you know to to go into a place where there's existing need, there's an existing opportunity, and and provide a little disruption that, that benefits the consumers. I mean, this isn't your first go around in this. You know, with you and Goddard, you guys were both instrumental in in building uh, and successfully you know selling Steelbrick into Salesforce, so one of the first real quote to cash platforms that existed in the market. And doing that now with with G two Crowd, we've got Matt Gorniak today. He's the C uh, the co founder and CRO at G2 Crowd, a company that just raised another $55 million a couple months ago to continue to transform the way businesses are buying software. And, you know, Matt, before we take a quick commercial break, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, what what is it, you know, what is it like to go from, you know, like six, seven years ago where it's just, you know, you're, you're sort of a bootstrapping entrepreneur to now, you know, really having an awful lot of venture capital behind you. Does it change the way you think about product strategies to change the way you think about sort of trajectory and sales strategy and you know where do you, where are your focus areas from that standpoint going into now 2019 yeah i mean i would say the we, we, we really didn't need to raise the money uh quite candidly but we do feel like right now it's gelling in a sense and you kind of alluded to it with one of the comments with the 6000 martech uh um products you know there is thousands and thousands of categories that are long tail Consider, but, but very important to the buyer at that moment. So for us, it's just getting there faster, if that makes sense. People want insight like this. Um, the vendors want a platform where they can have truthfully just focus on what they do well and express that without much overhead. And then at the end, we're kind of looking at this a little bit more like, you know, have the buyer find their perfect software, whatever that may be, right? But, but if you look at these categories, there's literally thousands of them. Um, and we're adding 
hundreds of them per year. So it's about getting there faster. I, I mean, like this funeral software. And there, it's a very competitive market for people that sell <laughs> funeral software. I can go on and on in all these categories and the whole world. And by the way, the other thing is we all think MarTech's over. You know, I mean, I don't think that, but some people do, or CRM. What if you're a MarTech provider in Australia for government? How's that compared to the Singaporean government? So the world's just getting huge in software. Anyway. Agreed. Like, hey, we got to take a quick faster. break, pay some bills here. But we're right back with more with Matt Gorniak. <laughs> we may or may not talk about funeral software. We're definitely going to address the question of whether MarTech is over. But uh, go pay some bills. We're right back. This is Sales Pipeline Radio. All right, Murga, speak softly today here. So everybody tune up your uh, turn up your volume. Uh, are you tired of sending sales emails and wondering if they're ever even open? Well, if so, you may need MailTag. MailTag is a Chrome browser extension for your Gmail that allows you to track your emails in real time. You receive alerts right in your desktop as soon as your emails are read. And as a special thank you for being a listener of this show, you get, get this, you get to not only start a free 14-day trial with no credit card required, but if you decide to sign up, you get 50% off for life. That's right. Just put in the promo code HEINZ, H-E-I-N-Z, and you can get half off for life. Such a deal. I wish I could be more enthusiastic today, but my voice is just gone, so you'll have to trust your own eyesight when you go to mailtag.io. Check it out. Find out more what they can do for you. Paul, that was next level commitment to the show. That was impressive, and I I would argue that it's entirely possible this could be this could be. So I you know I very much appreciate Mailtag <laughs> sponsorship. This could be their best episode ever. I, I could mean, you be. made it. I mean, you're usually very you, you do a great job with the reads, but I mean that was serious. Serious. I, I wanted to. I wanted. You know, you know, maybe we should do them all this way because when you speak softly, it pulls people in. So, it's, I, 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 everyone just pulled a little closer to the. What is he? <laughs> what, what amazing, important, critical technology is he bringing to the table? Today? Exactly. Well, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to think that I'm setting up your next segment on funeral discussions here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That was that was. Well, you you said it, not me. But, uh, no. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how I transitioned from funerals, but also, but just want to thank again our sponsor. Mailtag.io. Uh, you know, if if you are in sales, if you're in, if you are in business development, heck, if you're just using uh, Gmail and want to have a better sense for how people are interacting with your emails, good chance to, to use this tool. Very much appreciate the Mailtag team. Hey, if you're wondering as you send emails potentially over the holidays, are people engaging? Are they working? Or are they not? If someone emails you back or someone opens or clicks your email next week but doesn't email me out right away because they think me are on vacation, maybe that's an opportunity to engage with them. So definitely check those guys out mailtag.io use the heinz tag uh it check out and get uh, get a pretty good deal on that well like i said uh, paul we're here at the end almost of 2018 we got one more episode of sales pipeline radio in the works for next week we're going to have uh tj waldorf he's the vice president of global marketing for inap we're going to talk about uh, the agony and ecstasy of annual budgeting and planning. This is an episode we're gonna that we actually are gonna have. A, uh, we're gonna play on the show next week. We recorded it uh, earlier today so that uh, we everyone can be off in the week before between Christmas and New Year's. But you're definitely gonna want to check that one out. Coming up in January, we've got some great guests. We've got Scott Ingram. 
talking about lessons from the sales 1%. We've got Tiffany Bova, who is going to talk about her new book, Growth IQ. But today we've got a little more time here with Matt Gorniak. He's a co-founder and CRO at G2 Crowd, has been at a number of early stage companies and a number of companies that have been really sort of at the forefront of the uh, sales and marketing technology world. And you said something before the great break, Matt, that uh, there are people that think that MarTech is over. Um, I know a lot of people that have very expensive, very extensive marketing technology stacks built that might be alarmed to hear that. So what are you hearing and what do you what do you think? What's your opinion? Yeah, I figured you would take this out of context. No, what I meant to say is (laughs) of of review sites. That's actually not what I meant. What I'm saying is people are thinking like, you know, back to the 6000 logos out there or vendors. It's not over. You know, that's going to be my other point. There's more and more tech coming to just conclude that point. You know what I mean? It's getting more and more confusing. That's what I wanted to say. Four years ago, it was 1,500. Now it's over 7,000. We keep thinking, well, we see a lot of consolidation. We see companies getting bought, companies going away, companies merging, but the number keeps going up. I think what's exciting is that there's more and more technology that can solve a more diverse set of problems. But I do think companies have a hard time trying to decide what they need and why they need it. And I think it's why sites like G2 Crowd are so important. So, you know, I tease a little bit, uh, you know, next week's episode, Matt, on um, the agony and ecstasy of budgeting and planning. And in that show that we recorded earlier, we talk a lot about um, sales and marketing working together. Talk about as you guys grow as an expectations for growth uh, with your investors continue to, to grow. How do you work successfully with marketing to plan out the next year so that you can continue to hit your number? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, I'm not sure that we do anything magical per se, but I think the important piece is to look at this as one. Now, I'm a big believer that, you know, uh, marketing leaders have to have some percentage of sales in them and vice versa just to align that. And I think where I see the most disalignment or not alignment is basically where sales and, and marketing quote unquote compete, you know, and I think it starts from the top to make sure that it doesn't happen, you know, culturally, if you will, and then own the goals together. And I would say that's, it starts there. And then the culture of working on it together, um, I think is important. So that's kind of how we do it. You know, it's one goal to drive a uh, pipeline. It's not just, uh, you give me your leads and I'll convert them. You know, I think that that creates a lot of, um, that creates, as you scale, creates a lot of uh, friction. We'll talk about the the importance of kind of revenue responsibility or at least revenue responsibility awareness across the teams. I think, you know, I I know members of your team well, and I know they're not like this at all, but you've got some marketers that think that really sort of act as glorified arts and crafts uh, professionals. Um, and you've got others that, you know, still appreciate these, the, the art and the science of, of marketing, still appreciate the importance of brand, but are focused on ultimately driving a number um, that you can buy a beer with. Um, you know, what are some of the keys to to making that kind of alignment work when you know, by definition, some of what marketing does is doing st- doesn't directly lead to sales and revenue? I totally agree, and I think I think at some point a spreadsheet won't get you there. I, I do think it it starts with very top line alignment between like myself, Godard, who's the CEO, and Ryan, who's our CMO, and like reset that culture and understanding flows down. I think that goes a long way. And we can spend you know hours on the process, but I think that's the pivotal. I think for anyone who's in the org where that doesn't feel like that, you know, that's one of the culprits then of of levels down and becoming uh, like you said. Uh, pro- and in some projects, artists join it, right? But but then people always find a way to find it back to the main mission or not, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where the finger pointing starts. It's not a perfect process by any means, but I think, like I said, it starts with that um, with that um, vision, um, if you will. 
Got just a few more minutes here with Matt Gorniak from G2 Crowd. And, you know, Matt, you've you've served in a number of different leadership capacities in startups over the years. What are some of the things you've learned, you know, maybe either the hard way or just that have just taken at bats to learn that people early in their career, maybe at the beginning of the arc that you're on, that you wish they would know uh, to to increase their success? First managers, first level managers. Well, whether it's first level managers, early stage entrepreneurs that are doing it for the first time, people that are leading sort of fast growth organizations that may not have as many at bats. Yeah, I mean, I would say like, I mean, as an entrepreneur, you, you obviously you, I think most are very hands on, right? And the ability to be hands on, quickly understand the processes and get the results, right? I think when we're very small and always realize you have to have your hand in it. Um, it's key, you know. Um, I think I see some folks struggle. They may come from large organizations where things may happen, you know, despite them. And that's just not the case when you start up. I'm thinking like a 10-person company now, right? Um, mm-hmm. But then the the, the 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 challenge is then can you then switch away into delegating when the time's right? Because that process very quickly, you know, that's a good problem. You're successful. Won't scale. So that's what I see that switching. And like I said, it could be the other way around where people join from a large company and they're just not as hands-on. They, they like to delegate right away without even, you know, without getting their hands in the process. That becomes very challenging, I would say. So that, that's kind of what I see um, as, as one of the issues. Culturally, a- another thing is also um, being very, uh, very authentic, which I think in small companies um, is natural. Um, and as you scale, the key is to keep that authenticity as much as you can. Um, which then leads to people sharing issues or coming forward with problems that maybe, if it's not a very authentic culture, um, may get, kind of get buried, right? Yeah. So as you kind of move up and grow, there's like various gears that you kind of shift up. So it becomes really interesting because they're kind of logical once you look back, but if you haven't seen them before, um, they're they're not easy to spot right away as the company gets bigger and you get cluttered with just to-dos and lots of people run around, if you know what I mean. I agree. I agree. Hey, last question for you, Matt, before we let you go, you know, in your career and as you're in your own professional development, who are a couple people that have been particularly influential and helpful for you? These could be authors, professors, um, you know, people alive or dead, but who are a couple people you might recommend other listeners check out and try to read or learn from that have, that have really helped you out as well? Yeah. I mean, I would say that the oldie but goodie is the, uh, innovators dilemma by Clay Christensen. I think, um, especially now, I think the younger generation, it's a pretty, I think that book's got, what, 20 years now on it, probably, something like that. Um, it's a really good read because for anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur and, and kind of see the dynamics of, of how disruption could work, um, I think it's a wonderful book explaining the dynamics, the, the commercial system that gets built up around a very successful company that becomes very big, and then how a uh, disruptor can kind of take advantage of all the success that a big company has against it. So I, I would recommend that book. It may sound very dated, and it kind of is, but I think the, the physics of it are really uh, compelling. I just reread it again um, two years ago, a year ago. So, Yeah, there's books like that and authors like that that definitely uh, stand the test of time, so good recommendation. Well, we are out of time, unfortunately. we got to wrap up here. Thanks so much for Matt Gorniak uh, from G2 Craft for joining us today. Uh, if you're not aware and not familiar and aren't providing reviews and learning from reviews, definitely encourage you to check out g2crowd.com. That's letter G, number two, crowd.com. 
sales.com. We'll be back next week with an on-demand pre-recorded version of Sales Pipeline Radio. Very excited to finish the year with an episode about the agony and ecstasy of planning and budgeting. And we've already got a great lineup of new guests coming in January 2019. But for today, for my great and horse and recovering producer, Paul, this is Matt Hines. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. 